Greetings, everybody. Welcome back to the Cape Lead Revolution, and I have an amazing opportunity today. So this has been several weeks, if not months, in the making, but today I get to have an interview with the commander of the 354th Fighter Wing, Alton Air Force Base, Alaska, Colonel Benjamin W. Bishop. Colonel Bishop, thank you very much for joining us today. Absolutely, Chachi. Thank you for having me on the podcast, and I look forward to our conversation on leadership. Uh, as, as am I, sir. So this is, this is going to be a good conversation. Uh, really looking forward to it. But first, if you wouldn't mind, just tell uh, our listeners a little bit about you, your career, your wing, and all the awesomeness that Alton Air Force Base provides. Certainly. Uh, so I'm Colonel Ben Bishop. I'm the commander of the 354th Fighter Wing, uh, stationed here in Alton Air Force Base. As far as the 354th Fighter Wing, uh, we are at Ileson, but uh, the 354th Fighter Wing is more than just Ileson because we have the first air support operations group that is based down in Fort Lewis McCord, and they have squadrons that are uh, have units all over the Pacific. So that's one element, but we're also a uh, wing that has an operations group, a maintenance group, a mission support group. Uh, I am the installation commander uh, up here, and we also provide uh, training for our U.S. partner and coalition forces through uh, exercises such as Red Flag. Uh, so I always say our mission is to prepare, project, uh, and pioneer. So we prepare U.S. and partner forces for 21st century combat with exercises like Red Flag Alaska. For example, one just kicked off yesterday. Uh, I got to welcome a, a multinational crowd uh, of uh, airmen, uh, battlefield airmen, uh, from all over the world in order to uh, participate. So it's a pretty neat mission. I'm very passionate about it. Uh, and I'm thrilled to be uh, part of this team. As far as my career, uh, I grew up uh, in the aviation community, uh, flew Strike Eagles uh, with, uh, uh, with many distinguished uh, uh, airmen and leaders that some of you, some of which you've had on this uh, podcast, and that's a great opportunity. I was the uh, commander of the 422 Test Evaluation Squadron uh, down at uh, Nellis Air Force Base. Uh, I transitioned to the F-35 uh, back in 2013. And then I was a group commander uh, down at Luke Air Force Base uh, operations group there before coming to this position. So I have been, you know, fortunate to have wonderful jobs, work with phenomenal airmen uh, and leaders, and uh, be in a great position now uh, to be on an exceptional team. So that's 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 pretty awesome. Uh, a very uh, diverse background. Uh, not to mention you're a doctor of philosophy. <laughs> I am. So when I wasn't uh, leading or flying airplanes, I was in school in my career. Uh, so yes, I did get my uh, you know, PhD. I attended uh, SAS, so School of Advanced Air and Space Studies uh, down in Montgomery, Alabama, uh, and they have a PhD program. So I love history. I love learning, and uh, I was definitely outside my comfort zone, the academic environment, and uh, I'm really uh, passionate about uh, learning about strategy, but also about space operations, cyber operations, uh, and uh, all that goes into national security policy. Roger that, sir. So, so with your kind of, for, for our first question here, with your diverse background, uh, your time commanding, your time in academia, uh, from your perspective, what would you say are the biggest leadership challenges either facing our Air Force, our society, or both? I would say the biggest leadership challenge or I would phrase the question, what's the biggest challenge we face as leaders, is connecting. Uh, connecting with people, I think, is the one of the items I really look for uh, in my role here. 
and I think leadership is all about relationships. Uh, it's about how we deal with people. In today's society where we have cell phones and social media, those are obviously opportunities for us to connect uh, and share information uh, and be social. But I think leadership is all about the human element. And there's, I think, a temptation to substitute all those, abil uh, all those opportunities to connect online or uh, through the digital media with the opportunity to actually get to know uh, your airmen and know those around you and really have that uh, understanding. Because in my opinion, if you get the relationships right, if you get the connections right, uh, everything else falls into place. Uh, and if you care uh, about yourself, you care about your mission, you care about your people, uh, then that framework, when that, is, when that foundation is solid, again, everything else uh, falls into its proper place uh, as you look at any leadership you know, opportunity or challenge. You know, I, I, I absolutely couldn't, couldn't agree more as far as, you know, just you know, I'm, I'm very thankful for the special warfare community in their uh, increasing emphasis on the human weapon system, but totally. kind of your about about you know caring about people is one of the things that I'm fond of saying in the podcast, and I try not to offend people with this, but two of the best compliments that I could give today in contemporary American society are he's a good dude or she's an awesome chick, and I, I just think we don't I, I think we need to focus more on some of those concepts like hey just be a good person and see if things just don't naturally work out by themselves. Yep, I think that's a good uh, a good approach. Uh, just focusing on uh, that element. And then when you have that framework, you look at all the complex problems uh, through that lens, and I think it provides clarity of thought. Absolutely, 100%. And so as far as, as, far as some of that, that clarity, um, you know, you don't get to have a, a career like you've had and the jobs that you've had and, you know, getting to be a, a wing commander without, uh, without a lot of great people chipping in all, along the way. Who were some of your biggest mentors, and why were they so impactful? So I had uh, I have had the opportunity to just be uh, serve under great leaders throughout my career. Uh, I will say one of my uh, formative experiences uh, was uh, at the time when I was in the 492nd Fighter Squadron uh, at Lake Neath. Uh, my first DO was uh, a gentleman by the name of Lieutenant Colonel Quast, who is now uh, Lieutenant General Quast and the AATC commander. And I will say he was my DO and then fleeted up to be my commander. And he had a, uh, a big influence on my career because I saw him really care. I saw him care about the mission, care about the, the airmen. And then I also saw him care about his family. And that's one of the things I neglected to mention in my introduction, but I, you know, I'm married to a former intelligence officer. We have four children. Uh, as of a couple days ago, they're age three, five, seven, and nine. Um, and good, good spacing. Yes, indeed. Uh, so there's lots of joy in the Bishop household, not much peace. Uh, but I saw, you know, Lieutenant Colonel Quast at that time, he made time for his family. And I remember, you know, in the squadron, you know, seeing his family and seeing his, uh, his spouse. Uh, the commander that replaced him was uh, Lieutenant Colonel Severia, uh, who is now the superintendent uh, of the Air Force Academy. And uh, I have had the privilege of serving them not only as a young officer, but also throughout uh, my career serving with them. And uh, I just saw what squadron command could do and the impact that he could have uh, on the mission and on the airmen. It was very, uh, very formative uh, early 
uh, early in my career. Uh, I will say along the line, uh, along the way, I've had uh, great uh, leadership from the enlisted uh, side uh, as well. Uh, so when I was a squadron commander, uh, I had a superintendent, uh, Sergeant Caldwell, who's now a chief, uh, who really helped, you know, form my my uh, my viewpoint as a commander. Because that's a big transition as you go into uh, squadron command, and having that uh, that enlisted leadership uh, was was huge. Uh, I will say, when I was a group commander, uh, Chief Master Sergeant Wilson uh, was my superintendent, and he came into my office repeatedly with say with just just sound counsel and said, "Sir, you really should look at this uh, X, Y, and Z, and list out why." Uh, and then now. Uh, uh, Chief Master Sergeant Hurt, who's my command chief here, he was just in my office right before this interview, providing me good counsel. And I don't make any uh, decision of uh, significant importance without seeking his counsel. And then my vice wing commander, Colonel Anger, uh, likewise the same. Um, so uh, we were talking uh, earlier, uh, believe, uh, before the podcast, about conversations and leadership conversations. Uh, and I'm really big on having conversations because as a commander and as a leader, I'm very passionate about not being right per se, but making the right decision. And one of the things I look at, especially as leading large organizations, uh, if there's a decision that comes up to me, I usually have an inclination about the decision I'm going to make, uh, but I like having conversations. And I know I have a healthy organization when the decision I end up making is actually different than what I thought I was going to make because that means I, I'm getting feedback and I'm um, getting uh, advice and counsel that helps me uh, cover my blind spots. Uh, so uh, I will say, again, I've had the privilege of serving with just fantastic leaders throughout my career. Uh, that is one of the reasons I'm actually still in the Air Force. Uh, I've had fantastic jobs, but what makes those jobs amazing isn't the actual work, it's the people you get to work with. So uh, those are kind of, that's what comes to mind, uh, Chachi, when you ask me that question. You bet. And, like, how, how absolutely apropos that during the middle of your answer, getting to hear the sweet sound of freedom of the jets taking off. Yep. <laughs> Red flag Alaska. I mean, couldn't have timed it better. Yep, that is a red flag in action. That's our uh, national defense strategy. Uh, in uh, uh, in action here at Isleson Air Force Base. So that's, that's that's pretty awesome. You know, and, and as as you've gone through, you talked about passion. Love hearing about your family and and four kids. And it's very interesting that that you were talking about how you saw then Lieutenant Colonel Quas talking mm-hmm. about you know, or uh, exemplifying what it means to to make time for his family and do all that stuff. So what do you do as the senior leader inside your organization? to strike a balance between work and life or what some people now call uh, work-life harmonics. Yes. Um, so I'm glad you used the term harmonics uh, at the end because I was going to attack your question a little bit uh, and say, in my opinion, I don't think you can have a balance. I think balance is the wrong word when you look at managing your uh, your life at work and your, you know, managing your life at home, especially with your family. Uh, and whether it be you're married or with children or maybe you're single because I've actually been single most of my career and my family was, you know, my immediate family back home, but also my friends and where I got that support. And it's hard because if you try to use the term balance, I'm thinking of a math equation or I'm thinking of a um, seesaw where you're trying to, you know, have everything balanced out. And that that just doesn't happen when you're in the service of our country. You have to be in harmony. Uh, with uh, your life at home and your life at work. Because there are times uh, 
we swore an oath, and we might have to deploy and put ourselves in harm's way uh, to defend something larger than ourselves. And at that time, I'm not spending, you know, a lot of energy uh, with my family or a lot of time and energy uh, with my family. But that's okay because I can still be in harmony with my family. I can still have that support. And by, I think by serving, it's actually a great opportunity if you have children to demonstrate uh, leadership, the fact that life isn't all, all about you. It's about what you can do in order to make those around you better and also to serve uh, a higher cause. Uh, so to your uh, to your point, though, like how does that translate to action, right? Uh, because we can have all these great ideas, we can have all these theories, but if they don't inform our action or even more importantly our habits, uh, then they're not much use. So what I try to do is uh, I try to stack events. <laughs> I try to make uh, as many opportunities to bring my family life and my work life together. Uh, so right before I was talked to Chief Hurt, my family was here and we were doing a gratitude session uh, with my front office uh, where we just expressed gratitude because it's crazy, you know, uh, busy in any, uh, any leader's office. So an opportunity to kind of come together and just recenter and like I said, establish connections uh, is important and my family is part of that. Um, also, when I mentioned stacking events, uh, when I work out, uh, one of the things I, uh, uh, I bought when my uh, first child was born was a jogging stroller. When my second uh, child was born, I bought a dual jogging stroller. Uh, so right now, with a three and five-year-old, I'll try to put them in the stroller, and then the uh, seven and nine-year-old can, can ride bikes. <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, and that's an opportunity for me to get a workout in and also get a family event, and then also gives uh, my spouse, Aaron, uh, some time home alone uh, for some sanity. So those are some things that I, I try to do. I try to align those uh, whenever I can. See, that, that, that sounds amazing. And that's, that's similar to me. I get out and, and take the dogs for a walk, and I make sure that I go skateboarding with my four-year-old right when I, when I get back from, from work now. And, and I'm not sure if you're familiar with Dr. Janelle McCauley, but uh, her, um, her concept of, of, of mindfulness and the practical application of mindfulness uh, and then her, her, her just teaching me that I need to put on my oxygen mask. And if there's a sudden drop in cabin pressure and oxygen mask drops, put on your mask before you help the person next to you. She has taught me that. It, it's not really about being selfish, but it's about, you know, doing, doing what's right for me, doing what I can do to restore my soul and be right for me before I can ever think about being right for my family or my team or the country. Uh, absolutely. And I, I'm glad you brought up uh, Dr. McCauley because that's where I got that concept of, you know, work-life harmony from. Uh, she's a, you know, one of my former classmates, uh, a good friend, and a fantastic leader. And her concepts, like you mentioned, on mindfulness are something I try to embrace, especially in this job, is just being present in the moment and making sure that we're taking care of our, uh, ourselves uh, as leaders. Uh, because by taking care of ourselves, uh, like you alluded to, we're better postured to take care of uh, our airmen uh, in the mission. And that's really what our country needs us to do. Ab absolutely. And, and it was, it was, she, was one of the, she was one of the squadron commanders at my first command chief job, and so she and I still get to talk and collaborate and do all those things. So, uh, Dr. McCauley, if you're listening, thank you for all that you've, you've done for, uh, for the military for me and, and uh, what appears to be Eilton Air Force Base and uh, the 354. So that's pretty awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now, now, so go going with this, um, you know, you, you talked about some of the enlisted leaders, and obviously, you know, my experience is, is enlisted core heavy. Um, what were some of the best attributes of the enlisted leaders that worked for you? And then, like, you know, I guess the, the natural follow-up question is, 
what are, what are some of the, the worst attributes that you've seen that you can have people watch out for? Uh, certainly, the first attribute is easy. They cared. They cared about themselves. They cared about the mission. They cared about their airmen. They cared about me uh, as a leader they were, uh, they were mentoring and, and advising. And it was phenomenal because by caring, it wasn't about them. It wasn't uh, about how they looked. It wasn't about how, you know, they you know, were concerned. It was all about trying to make everything around them better. And by having that framework, they were able to, you know, call a spade a spade and tell me not what I wanted to hear, but what I needed to hear. And as a leader, to me, that is gold. I'm, I'm always looking for feedback. I'm always looking for uh, people to tell me that there's lettuce in my, uh, in my teeth, right? Uh, it's not if, it's just when it happens. And I need uh, that, uh, that perspective and that viewpoint. And the best uh, enlisted leaders that I have had the opportunity to serve with have been able to do that. And by combining that, that, that foundation of caring with the, this, the dedication to excellence, uh, integrity, and service, I mean, you put that combination together and you just get great leadership. And I, I think focusing on those areas is important as we discuss uh, how we approach leadership uh, because it provides, again, that lens in which to look at very, very difficult problems because leadership is messy. Uh, the uh, the decisions that you make, especially as you go higher, aren't necessarily just black and white. If they were, they would probably be have they would have been made. Those decisions would have been made at a lower level. Um, uh, so, as I I alluded to it earlier, but especially in this position, I really look for counsel and, and, and advisement from uh, my command chief, my vice wing commander, from my group commanders, and then also from my squadron commanders. Uh, I need to hear uh, feedback. Uh, and then also just connect with airmen when I, uh, whenever I can. Um, so that's, uh, again, I go back to caring as kind of the first foot forward. Uh, if, if you do that, everything falls into place, and I've seen that with the, uh, uh, the best and most leaders. As far as the, uh, uh, your, your second part of your question, as far as leaders that I've seen uh, that weren't helpful and attributes of that is uh, they didn't have the mindset that is or oriented towards growth or growth mindset. They were more fixated on performance. And uh, when you're fixated on performance, you're also typically fixated on optics. Uh, you're fixated on being right and making sure that people know you are right. And that can be effective in some cases, but it is not a recipe for continued leadership performance in my opinion. And frankly, it's dangerous as you look at someone who operates in the profession of arms because our adversaries are intelligent, they're motivated, they are looking for ways to beat us. They're looking for ways to prevail on the battle space. Uh, and we need to be open to learning, to constantly getting feedback, and to making ourselves better. Not necessarily looking good, because a lot of times, in order to get better, you actually have to make yourself vulnerable. You have to be willing to take risk and perhaps even look bad. Uh, there's an analogy, 
that if you really want to become a better golfer, if you're a scratch golfer and you want to get even better, you actually probably have to change your stroke, which means you're probably going to be at worse before you uh, get better. So investing in that loss uh, is an important attribute that you need to be willing to make as a leader. And uh, those uh, attributes, uh, if they're not present, in my opinion, uh, can really hurt an organization and make it uh, very brittle in terms of uh, resiliency and also a mission effectiveness and performance. Roger that. And, and those are, you know, if I, I was just, sorry, couldn't stop t- taking notes, you know, as far as that goes. But, but I, think, I think investing in the loss, you know, as far as a, a short-sighted versus a nearsighted approach to what you want to do that, you know, in, in the short term, your performance may decline, but this is one of those necessary steps for growth. And, and what, what I like to call, because I, 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 hate, I hate to say change management. I don't care about change management. I can change ice to water by doing nothing, just putting it on the kitchen table. I care about evolutionary leadership, you know, being in tune to what's going on around us and making sure that, that we are really keying in on the extraneous factors that are impacting us to do all these things. But being able to invest in the loss is something that I've never heard, and, and I'm absolutely blown away by that concept. I'm going to have to put some brain bites toward that tonight, sir. That was, that was pretty epic. Yeah, absolutely. And, again, we need to be willing to learn. And when you're learning, you're outside your comfort zone. If you're outside your comfort zone, you may be doing things you've never done before, which probably means you're not going to be very successful at the first time. Uh, but by taking that, uh, taking that approach and not being concerned with the performance, but the fact that, hey, I, I did this and I wasn't very good at it, but I learned a lot. So I'm going to continue to embrace that opportunity to, to learn and get better. And that's important in the profession of arms because we need to continue that growth. So I'm very passionate. I, I even included the term growth mindset in my command philosophy here in the wing uh, because as a wing that is preparing to accept uh, delivery of F-35s and our mission is going to evolve, it's uh, important for us to think differently and be willing to not uh, to change. You bet. It's funny, like the, the, the growth mindset is something that I've been looking at from the, the Arbinger Institute over the past few years. So that, that's been a, a key watchword for me. But, but something you, you mentioned here is about getting outside of, of your comfort zone and not, not trying to pit you in a corner here, but have you had a pivotal moment, uh, either good or bad, that shaped your career one way or the other? So I think we've all had very pivotal moments. And uh, I will share one experience that was early in my career. So uh, I went to pilot training, obviously, uh, uh, before – I, you know, uh, flew the F-15 in fighters, and I remember pilot training was great. Uh, I was doing really well. I liked it. Uh, I was having fun. I was working really hard. Uh, You know, I went out for my first check ride, and uh, a good friend of mine who sat right next to me, he had busted the check ride uh, uh, previously because he oversped his uh, landing light, which is a, you know, one of the things that the, uh, you know, if you go around and refuse a landing, you know, you bring your gear up, you put your flaps up, you put your landing light up. Uh, and he had gone too fast before he put his landing light on. Um, uh, that friend, by the way, is still in the Air Force and is doing very, uh, is, is an exceptional pilot. Uh, but it's funny because I was going around on my check ride and I remembered, you know, it's gear, flaps, landing light. So I put the gear up. I'm like, oh, yeah, don't overspeed, overspeed the landing light. So I put the landing light up and I overspeed the flaps. <laughs> and I busted the check ride. Yeah. <laughs> And, like, I had been doing really well, and then all of a sudden I failed. Uh, and I failed big, like on my first check ride in pilot training. 
And I remember that was a very formative experience because I had to come to terms with failure. And uh, I had to, you know, I realized I had a choice. I could either wallow in my failure and let that define me, or I could say, all right, I screwed that up. What did I learn? And what I learned is don't change your habit patterns. <laughs> like I'd done all these sorties that had trained, trained me to do that process. Uh, and, I, and I decided to do something differently. Um, so that was a good lesson for me to learn early. And it was also a lesson in humility. And what that uh, taught me was, like, I need to be always willing to learn and always willing to succeed. And I went through pilot training, uh, had the opportunity to, you know, fly phenomenal aircraft throughout my, uh, my career. And I will say, like, that humility helped me. I, uh, I had the privilege of attending the U.S. Air Force Weapons School. Uh, and, you know, I failed a lot there as well because I was learning a lot and I was outside my comfort zone. Um, but uh, it was a great opportunity to increase my own uh, capacity in aviation, but more importantly, my own capacity to instruct and to teach and to make those around me better. I've been very passionate about uh, teaching and uh, passing on knowledge to those around you, whether that be subordinates, whether that be your peers, and then also your superiors as well. Uh, so um, the uh, weapons school kind of motto actually is humble. Is uh, Sorry, I cut out there. The weapons school uh, uh, motto is humble, Credible. Approachable, credible. Yep, humble, approachable, credible. And being able to have that relationship, have that connectivity, you couple that with humility, and then you couple that with the ability to embrace a growth mindset and learn. Uh, you get a powerful leadership force uh, that can literally change, uh, change a unit and also change the Air Force. You know, and, and you know, hearing that story is funny. Me as a staff sergeant, I got kicked out of a country, kicked off of a deployment, and it was one of those things where I, I could have let it define me a lot like you, you were talking about. And, you know, the thing that I learned was that failure is only a failure in that moment, that on any timeline past that air quotient, you know, failure, on any timeline past that where I endeavor to do better and succeed, I instantly turn that failure into a setback if I have the presence of mind to do so. Yep. You know, and so, and I, I see so many people who kind of languish in in their own failure without recognizing that hey, this is like like you were talking about. This is just a good opportunity to educate yourself and grow from it. Absolutely, and if you take that uh, mindset and you focus on the learning, then again, everything else falls into place. Ab absolutely, and and, and to uh, to kind of bring up a. a, a probably bad topic here. Uh, a, a few months back, uh, a few of your commanders had an opportunity to, to learn. Um, you had to relieve two of your squadron commanders uh, inside the, the TACP arena. And I'm, uh, for those listeners out there, I'm, I'm a career TACP. And so this was uh, met with a lot of emotion and, and consternation. Is there anything that, that you would like to, to share with us about that circumstance before I get into a, a couple different questions for that, sir? Yeah, absolutely. So the first thing I would want to share is that this was not a case of toxic leadership. Both commanders were honorable men that have had fantastic careers, and they were leading good squadrons. This was not a case of them being, you know, 
bad officers or you know terrible commanders that I just fired. That was not the case, and they continue to serve, and they they're doing uh, honorable work, and will continue to serve the uh, nation and our Air Force. So I wanted to say that up front. I'm very protective of their uh, their reputation uh, because uh, it's it's important to me to kind of protect their uh, their service. Uh, which has been very honorable. However, they both made a significant mistake as commanders uh, in that it came to my attention through two CDIs, so Commander Directed Investigations, uh, that there was hazing going on in their organization and uh, they knew about it and they weren't doing anything to stop it. And to me, as I look forward, that did not meet the standards of the 354th Fighter Wing, it did not meet the standards uh, of the Air Force, and I thought it was better for other commanders to come in and lead these uh, uh, lead these units. Uh, so I, I did want to say why I removed them from command and not just leave it at the loss of confidence, uh, because I did lose confidence in their ability to, to lead, and I thought it was better for for someone else to, to come in and uh, lead these units. Uh, but uh, it was I, I wanted to tell more than uh, just that, so it didn't lead to kind of questions that might lead to people questioning uh, their ability to uh, honorably serve uh, in the Air Force. So I did remove them, and uh, I want to share why. And, uh, and since this is a, uh, a leadership podcast, I wanted to perhaps tell a story of how I, I look at accountability uh, in leadership, and, and then also how do you balance that with the, the growth mindset like we were just uh, discussing. In uh, one of the frameworks I, I, uh, I look through, especially as a wing commander, is I am responsible for our nation's most precious resource. That is the sons and daughters of America. And as I look at the 354th Fighter Wing, I am very protective of our airmen. I am very protective of those sons and daughters, and I will not tolerate them being in an environment where they could be hazed or treated with disrespect. So I will do everything within my power to make sure that there's a healthy environment. And I expect that from all my subordinates. Uh, so if I see anything that is threatening that environment or that culture, then I'm going to take action. Uh, there's another frame I looked at, uh, I look at uh, as well. Is I'm a fighter wing commander. Uh, and currently I have one combat weapon system uh, in the wing, uh, and that is the Tactical Air Control Party. And I have a deep sense of stewardship to do everything within my sphere of influence and power to make sure that that weapon system is the most effective weapon system possible on the battlefield. So again, I'm very protective and defensive against anything that might undermine uh, that effectiveness. And as I look at hazing, and especially how it's defined in the DODI uh, from our Secretary of Defense, uh, then that is a threat to mission effectiveness. And it's very subtle. Uh, some people may think uh, that you know, some, some of these you know, practices like roll-ups, I'm sure some of your listeners are, are aware of it, but it's a uh, you know, practice of tackling and you know, duct taping and putting the individual in a position of duress. Uh, that has, you know, gone on uh, previously. That was that's the hazing that was happening, and the commanders knew about it. Uh, and I see that uh, there's no combat value added. Uh, and you know, I'm a big sports fan. I'm really big on athletic performance. I'm really interested in how we can make the human weapon system um, 
uh, more effective. And uh, I would think of any professional football coach, um, would they allow their draft picks or their elite athletes uh, to be in, you know, exposed to something like that where it's not controlled uh, and it's, there, there's no training environments? And they would never put their resources uh, at risk. And uh, also just the uh, ability to build a spirit of core is built on trust. And a lot of that trust is about going through uh, difficult times together uh, and being put to the test uh, in a uh, training environment. And that is something that is absolutely important uh, to do that. But to do it in a manner that uh, perhaps uh, puts those at physical risk or emotional risk uh, it's just not acceptable, and hazing just isn't tolerated, and it's because it doesn't uh, lead to mission effectiveness. Uh, some people uh, may claim that this is a harmless practice, but I will say, without going into details, through my, you know, my, my investigations, there was physical harm, and there was emotional harm, uh, and there was distress. Uh, so uh, it was important for me to make a decision that set the standard, uh, not just for the squadrons, but also for the fighter wing, uh, and then also the entire TACP community as far as how can we invest? How can we invest in our human weapon system, and how can we make sure that there's a culture that's healthy for our airmen and makes our mission better? Uh, so those are some of the things that, uh, you know, I think through when, you know, I balance uh, uh, accountability and, uh, and also kind of redemption and, and growth mindset. So, sir, what, what would you say to probably some of your critics out there who say that, you know, inside these frontline combat units and the special warfare units that are trying to build and cultivate a warrior mindset, that uh, that this type of, uh, again, I, I'm not sure if, if it would be harassment or whatever, but that, that these types of things are vital towards building teammates and helping instill a warrior mindset and a warrior ethos for our guys that are trained to go on the battlefield and kill in support of our great nation. Yeah, so I am huge on mission effectiveness, and to be effective on the mission doesn't mean you're soft. It's the exact opposite. But I see, I see these practices and these hazing practices as an attempt to kind of short-circuit the spirit of core, uh, and it's a way to kind of set ourselves, you know, try to make ourselves different. But it puts emotional and physical uh, – it risks emotional and physical damage to, to our airmen. And then long-term, that is a – can be a cancer in any effectiveness because if you don't have trust in those around you uh, and you're uh, questioning uh, what is happening uh, in the social environment, then that is not a environment that makes it healthy to embrace that growth mindset and uh, express some vulnerability and put yourselves uh, put yourselves out there. The way to really get after that effect is through things like lightning challenge and through uh, tough. Uh, tier two uh, physical fitness tests and competition and also training. Uh, I will say I have been in positions of duress when I was through uh, when I went through survival school and resistance training, uh, but that was a very uh, comprehensive training program that everyone went through. The other thing that happens is if these are so good for training, then why aren't all our airmen being exposed to it? And the reason is is because it doesn't provide good value and good uh, good training. Uh, so those are the things that um, come to mind when I think through, you know, some of the people that, like, well, by outlawing hazing, you're making us uh, soft or making the community soft. And I would say, actually, it's the opposite. We're making them more resilient and uh, allowing the culture uh, to focus on mission effectiveness because we are in the profession of arms. Let's, like, let's remember that. We are charged. Our, our country has 
uh, entrusted us to manage violence and to turn our enemies uh, into hair teeth and eyeballs, to you know, be very blunt. Uh, we have to have the trust of our country and we need to have the trust of our airmen uh, that we are willing to do that in a professional uh, environment. Uh, and get after it. And again, uh, as you look at any professional uh, team, whether it be football or basketball, this wouldn't go on. No coach would allow the, their uh, athletes to be exposed to, to that risk with with, uh, with no training value. So those are the things that can kind of come to mind as you have those conversations. No, uh, you know, as a fair, sir, I, you know, I, I wanted I wanted you to have a. a a, uh, your, you know, your day in, in public opinion court. And for, for all the tacky listeners out there, I'll, I'll, I'll be the first person to tell you that I absolutely support th- this decision. Not that Colonel Bishop needs my support or approval, but, but I'm telling you that, you know, the, the, the question is like, uh, just like Colonel Bishop had brought up, is like, you know, what, what combat value is added? You know, is this really the sole means that we have to instill teamwork and camaraderie and a, a warrior mindset and a warrior ethos? Or can we use some of these other things out there? Can we do the combatives? Can we go do legitimate, amazing training? And, you know, if you want somebody to do push-ups and go out there to, to stimulate and replicate the combat environment, by all means, please do so. But understand why you're doing it. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a Cleveland Browns fan, and last year when we drafted Baker Mayfield, I think our head coach, you know, would have lost his mind if they taped up Baker Mayfield, pink-bellied him, tied him into a chair and rolled him around and, you know, did all that stuff. It's just I, I think, you know, to your point, sir, there's just a, a better way to treat people. And while this could have been the culture – and this is how we did things in the, in the past, you know, we need to evolve. We need to realize that just because we did it before, uh, you know, does not mean we need to keep doing it today. And, you know, again, to the point of where is the combat value being added with it? I, I think we all need to ask ourselves that tough question and then realize that, that this is probably one of the things that we can easily stop doing for the betterment of our team. Yep. Absolutely. And the last thought about it as this decision is this decision isn't about me and it's not about us as leaders, particularly those that are in command. You realize that uh, it's not about you being in the position, it's about making the unit better. And you have to make decisions that are, are framed through that, uh, through that framework, uh, if you will. And uh, I knew there was going to be, when I made this decision, that it probably wouldn't be popular with some people and I probably wouldn't get more Facebook friends out of it, but at my... It was a difficult decision, but it's what I thought was best for the squadrons, best for the wing, and then also best for, for the Air Force and the TAC community. And uh, I will say, you know, even in this job here, uh, I've told my boss this is, hey, sir, if you think it's better for someone else to command the 354th Fighter Wing, you know, you obviously should make that decision. And more importantly, I want you to make that decision because, again, it's not about me being in the job. It's about me uh, being able to serve and then hopefully make the wing better. And if someone else has a better uh, capacity to do that, then I want them in that job. So that's just kind of a, a mindset that I have, and it's uh, kind of led me through that uh, decision as well uh, because, again, it wasn't an easy decision and may be unpopular with, with some, but, again, it wasn't about me and me being liked. It was about what I thought was best for the, for the wing and the unit. So, so your, your, your takeaway, perhaps for you or your wing or, or, the, or the taxi out there, are there any distinct takeaways or experiential lessons learned that, that you kind of gained throughout this whole process that you would like to share with people? Yeah, I would say just uh, conversations and uh, learning 
and making sure that uh, as you're making the decisions that uh, you take time to uh, understand the environment, especially if it's an important decision, and uh, make sure that you, know, you have that clarity of thought uh, when, when doing it. And I'll also say I think it's an important lesson in just change, and you alluded to it yourself as far as the culture and what we have done in the past it isn't necessarily what we should do in the present and also in the future. And I will say it's important for us, especially in those in the profession of arms, is to really look at our practices and our culture and fostering that culture that makes us the most lethal and makes us the most uh, effective in that, uh, in that environment. And anything that undermines trust between airmen or has the potential to uh, harm that trust should really be looked at uh, as far as what we accept in our, our warrior culture. Roger that, sir. And, and kind of, kind of, I, I guess, uh, perhaps along those lines, perhaps a, a little bit differently. If you could, if you could talk to every brand new airman and every brand new second lieutenant, what advice would you have for them? I've mentioned it before, but I would say care. Care about again yourself. Care about your mission. Uh, care about those around you better. Uh, care about those around you and to make them better and get after it. It is a phenomenal opportunity to serve in the Air Force and to serve our country. And just dive into it and just realize that you're going to make mistakes. Yeah, you're going to uh, grow and you're going to learn and you're going to be awkward and uncomfortable throughout your career. And that's not a bad thing. That's okay. Uh, and to lead in a uh, a matter where you care, you're just trying to do your best and you're doing everything you can. And that's going to lead to exceptional performance in my, uh, my opinion. So just having that presence of mind to be willing to make decisions and to learn early. I think uh, General Goldfein and his focus on squadrons and squadron commanders is exactly what our Air Force needs uh, at this time. And it's great to have the opportunity to take that uh, vision and try to instill it into a wing. I will say, for, especially for a young airman or young lieutenant, make as many decisions as you can early in your career uh, because those are all data points in which you're going to learn from. So that's one of the things that I learned early as a commander. Uh, I have a lot of degrees on my wall. I love school and I've got a lot from uh, academic experience uh, and those opportunities to learn. But I would trade all of those degrees uh, for my one uh, assignment as a squadron commander. Uh, because when you're a commander, the decisions are real, and you have to live with the ramifications, and you just learn so much. Uh, and that is the best military education that we have. Again, I'm a huge proponent of PME. I'm a huge proponent of, uh, of learning. Uh, but the wisdom that you gain as, uh, out of making decisions and seeing how they play out is huge. So the earlier we can have our airmen and uh, young lieutenants making those decisions and building that wisdom, the better we're going to be uh, in the future. Roger that, sir. And, you know, there's, it's, it's very interesting for me, having been a two-time command chief, um, you know, turning in my star just because I knew I wanted to retire and then took a job back at Attack T Squadron working for a squadron commander again. It's very interesting for me to see what information did or didn't get down the squadron level or how the practical application of General Goldfein's focus 
um, how, that, how that worked and or didn't work. And, you know, with his concept of revitalizing squadrons and empowering squadron commanders, I think it's absolutely huge. What advice would you have out there for either sitting or would-be squadron commanders out there to help them find success? My advice to them would be to, and one, care, like I said, because uh, that's a good framework, embrace that growth mindset in that look for every opportunity to learn and understand the environment you're in. And I would say leadership is a lot about conversations, and it's a lot about uh, connecting with people. We discussed that earlier in our uh, conversation here. Uh, but especially as a squadron commander, that's the opportunity to lead by presence and that you have the opportunity to get to know everyone in your uh, squadron, you get to know your flight commanders, you get to know uh, those that are in the unit. And it's really that last opportunity to lead solely by presence. Uh, as you progress up into group command and on, you know, I lead by presence, you know, I lead my wing staff, but I also lead by principle and by policy because I can't be everywhere on the wing and uh, I can't you know, make those, you know, decisions by, you know, understanding. I create the environment for other people to uh, make those decisions. Again, I don't lead the wing. I lead leaders that lead the wing. Uh, and uh, I need leaders that are leading the wing at the squadron level to really understand uh, their people, understand their mission, and then seek counsel and encourage debate and encourage uh, uh, conversations. I think a good squadron commander won't lead a discussion, they'll facilitate a discussion and bring in uh, different viewpoints. And especially they're making the decisions that are difficult. If they're easy decisions, their flight commanders should be making them. So if you use that concept and that framework, I think it'll help you understand your blind spots. It will help you understand your hidden biases and uh, will obviously uh, allow you to make uh, decisions that are more right and fitting to the, uh, uh, to the situation at hand. You bet, sir. And it was, it was you know, I think one of the things that hopefully did not get glanced over with, with your last answer there is, you know, the differences between leadership by presence, principle, and policy is that, you know, be present. If you can't be present, make sure that the principles are intact and those principles should, should shape the policies. I think that is something that people need to hear definitely earlier on in their career from like their earliest leadership moments. Yeah, absolutely. And you alluded to it earlier as well. Is It's just interesting seeing how General Goldfein's intent, you know, how does that, uh, you know, filter down uh, to the squadron level. And it, it takes time uh, because what General Goldfine is really getting after is a change of culture, and that does not happen overnight. Uh, but it's happening, and we see it happening. And it's an exciting time to be serving our country in the Air Force uh, because there's a lot of, a lot of energy uh, towards growth and towards uh, uh, leadership, especially at the lower echelons. And that's what our next conflict will require uh, is that wisdom and the ability to, uh, to make those decisions when all the information may not be present. Yeah, you know, and that, that ends up being one of, those, one of those key things to where if uh, the information isn't present to where, you know, we just, all that I can ask of somebody is to do five things. Do what you can with what you have at that time, regardless of the environment and whether you want to or not. And the answer is we come up with today may be wrong tomorrow, but at least we gave it a shot. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. And so, uh, so with that, I know, I know we're coming up at, at the very end of the hour, and, and after the podcast is over, I'd like to steal two minutes of your time. But what I would like is give you some opportunity to uh, share some, uh, some parting thoughts with our, our listeners, sir. Well, for all the listeners out there, I would say uh, thanks for tuning in. Uh, thanks for being interested in leadership. Thanks for being willing to uh, 
to learn and grow. Uh, I will say uh, throughout this conversation, it's been uh, fantastic to uh, kind of think and reflect on, on leadership and how we can care for ourselves, care for the mission, and care about uh, making uh, those around us better. And uh, I will say that whatever your rank or your uh, echelon of uh, command is, uh, by having that uh, willingness to learn and to grow will make us more effective. And it's really what our country is calling us to do, especially those in the professional arms. Uh, for those that are in uniform, thank you for your service. I will say it's a true privilege to be able to be part of a team uh, that is in the U.S. Armed Forces. For those of you that are retired, thank you for your service. Um, Chachi, Chief, to you, thank you for uh, your service. I understand you retired uh, recently. Uh, and thank you for choosing to be something larger than yourself. I will say that is uh, one of the reasons that I have elected to stay in uh, the Air Force. Uh, again, it's not because of the jobs, it's because of the people. Uh, and have an opportunity, having the opportunity uh, to be a part of an enterprise that is uh, larger than yourself is, is a true privilege. Uh, sir, I, I really appreciate your time. And for, for, for the listeners out there, I always try and do a, a recap. And again, just you know, see where the conversation takes us. But without fail, every single time, we talk about the concept of Cape Lead. Whether we're talking about caring, alignment, perspective, expectations, Every time Colonel Bishop brought up, you know, when you give advice, you have to care. We talked about the alignment that he had with his presence, policies, principles. We talked about the different alignment uh, that he had from some of the leaders that he had uh, previously that helped shape. You know, he talked about getting different perspectives and just hearing people out and getting the honest, truthful feedback that he needs to be a more effective commander. And then lastly, we talked about his expectations, not only as a military leader, but as a wing commander. And so, uh, so with that, we'll sign off. But uh, Colonel Bishop, uh, thank you so much for your time today, especially with Red Flag kicking off. I know undoubtedly how busy your schedule is. If you're to carve the time to be with us here today on the Cape Lead Revolution, I truly appreciate it, sir. Absolutely, Chachi. Thanks for having me. All right, sweet. And uh, we'll catch you back here on the next time on the Cape Lead Podcast. This is Chachi reminding you to always educate, anticipate, and dominate. We'll catch you later.